Hi, my name is Mika Kleinschmidt, and welcome to The Better Buy. Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Mika Kleinschmidt, the Tampa realtor behind Dirt to Design, a company that aims to find the perfect home for every client. Together with her husband, developer Brian Kleinschmidt, Mika hosts the HGTV series 100 Day Dream Home. They also won season two of the hit competition show Rock the Block. Hi, Mika. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey there. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So you are incredibly well-known as a host of the 100-Day Dream Home and, of course, winning Rock the Block. But let's talk 100-Day Dream Home. 100 days to build a home. I am mid-reno, and it took me 100 (laughs) days to figure out where to put the garbage can. So I'm wondering if you can speak to what is lost and what is gained through meeting such a tight timeline. Oh, absolutely. There's always a reasoning why. Everybody probably wants their house done in 100 days. So let's face it, part of the show... We do some pre-planning, and of course, we're not counting the permitting on the front end, so don't feel too bad, because if you count that, it is a little more than 100 days. The appeal is with new construction, a lot of people are intimidated. They're like, I need a house now, or I need it soon. I don't have a year or two years to wait. But I will give credit to our clients. They are really great about quick decision-making you know, not doing a lot of change orders. So it's a team effort. Like We have to do our part, but they also have to do their part. That's a very good point because some people can really waffle between (laughs) material types, tiles. I'm actually the quick decision maker in my family, whereas my husband literally needs to consider every possible option and actually see it. So that is a very good point that you urge your clients towards being decisive. Yes. But what about getting all of the other professionals you rely upon to embrace the challenge of meeting that deadline. Is that difficult? You know, we do a lot of builds that are not on the show as well. So we've built a really solid team of subs that we work with. So it's almost like a sport. The more you practice, the more it becomes a fluid process. And so first couple seasons were a lot more nerve wracking. And now we're kind of in that ease where we know how to problem solve on the spot. Everybody's working together. I mean, sometimes you have multiple trades in the space at the same time, but they're all cordial and don't get in each other's way. But it took some time to accomplish that. So that was kind of trial and error. And there's some bills that we've done that have taken way more than 100 days, not on the show, but just in general. So yeah, I think it's just like practice makes perfect, but nothing's really perfect. (laughs) I think that is a good point when it comes to building anything. And how do you handle problems like supply chain issues. I know that in the last few years, especially, that's been a big problem for people with materials and such. Oh, yeah. We try to be proactive. And there are certain items that you know are going to have longer lead time. So when we're ordering, there's certain things like windows and cabinets that have to get done right in the beginning. And you really can't change them because they're already eight to 10 weeks lead time. But part of it, too, if something becomes not available, there's been times where I've had to go back to the client and go, you know, unfortunately, this flooring is not going to be here on time. So we got to make a second choice. And they're team players and they go along with that because if not, there's no way to hit the deadline. Again, having the good subs and team, but also we work with pretty much 
the same vendors for the most part on a lot of the builds. So we have like our go-to cabinets, countertops, all that good stuff. We were talking about your husband a moment ago. He's your business partner and your co-host on the show. And it seems important to the both of you to consider functionality when it comes to designing a space. Can you speak to me about that? Why is versatility and functionality so key? Yeah, I mean, so when you're building custom, you're not buying something that somebody else has already designed. So you have that one chance to get it right. So really getting to know the clients on the front end, their day-to-day, what are their struggles in their current house that aren't working for them? because we have a chance to get it right. And I think functionality is so important because you're paying per square foot. You don't want wasted space that's not going to get used. You don't want something that's not going to work for your family. You also have to think ahead, not just about what's functional now, but 10 years from now, will this be something that works? So a lot of our clients you'll notice on the show end up doing one stories because they're like, you know, I love a two story, but I'm getting, you know, up there in age and I want to be able to stay in this house as my forever home. So. Right. That's a very, very good point about thinking about what you're going to be like as a family 10 years from now, not just in the now. Yeah, exactly. And I know you've done many an interesting thing. I think this would qualify as versatile, but can you tell me what is a motorized pergola, for instance? Oh, gosh, that rock the block pergola. We actually (laughs) got dinged from the judges on that. But since then, we're actually really good friends. Everything is trending about smart homes now and just how do you make things tech savvy and cool. In in Florida, especially, it's all about indoor-outdoor living. So it's nice if you can kind of extend that square footage of your house by now creating a space outside that feels like livable square footage, even though it's outdoors. So yeah, the motorized pergola was really cool. It had so many gadgets that we probably didn't get to show and rock the block. And it played music, it had lighting, all this cool stuff. So just kind of a unique feature, but it also provides coverage and shade, which we do need in Florida. (laughs) What are some other examples of these unique sort of wow factor features you've incorporated into builds? Honestly, we do special projects for each family based on like What is something we really think that they would love that maybe it's not in the budget? Maybe they're going to try to do it later, which that rarely ever happens. Um, (laughs) So, so, I mean, the challenge is doing different ones because now we're in the fourth season. So I'm like, all right, we've already done this. We've done an outdoor kitchen. We've done this. Secret pantry, check. Secret pantry, check. This one was a challenge, but I think the viewers are going to see some creative And not over-the-top expensive things that they can do in a home to add value, but also just make it that much cooler. We definitely try to make sure whatever it is, again, it's something they're going to like for years to come and actually get use out of it. And why do you think most builders don't think about design this way? It feels like you really embrace multi-purpose-ness, but I'm just wondering, so many homes are kind of boring. Why is that the case? Well, you know, from a construction standpoint, if you build a certain blueprint and you do it 10 times, it becomes really easy. It's like, okay, cool. I know exactly how much it's going to cost me. I know the subs that are going to need to be in there. So I think builders, a lot of them have that logical construction mindset, but then sometimes it's hard to have all the intuition of what the client wants. So it is kind of nice to have a team of like, hey, we'll handle the design and you just execute it. Mm -hmm. Right. Rather than just continuously churning out the same cookie cutter space. And what is your process for determining the ideal layout for a home? So I think the layout, you know, you kind of in the beginning assess what your budget is and then you can estimate because you haven't picked finishes, right? So you can't really say it's going to cost this exact amount to build this house. But 
once you kind of know what you're working with, you can gauge how much square footage you can do. And then based on your family, they will usually give you a wish list. Like you normally would know how many bedrooms you need, how many bathrooms you need. So you put those puzzle pieces on the drawing board, but then the flow that works for the family is the part that is It's fun, but that's the challenging part. Like, okay, do I want my room over here or what's more important? Do I want to have an office tucked away in the back of the house? There's so many different variables, but you really kind of start with the puzzle pieces and then it's almost like cut and paste until you Mm -hmm. come up with the right flow. Flow is a keyword. I like that. And at what point in the process does lighting, the consideration of light come into play? Not just natural light, but lighting fixtures. Yeah, because when you talk natural light, that's got to come in the beginning because it's like, okay, do you want a window here or do you not? Right. (laughs) But ooh, light fixtures, I love it because you can really make a statement with some really cool lighting in a house. And they've come so far as far as like what's available. So it can get a little overwhelming. Normally, I would say that design decision happens at least at the halfway point, because it's nice to be able to go in the space when the drywall is going up. So you can actually walk in the room and you can see how much natural light's already coming in there. You see spatially how big of light fixtures you need to order. So I would say that's probably right at that halfway point. You've also noted that throughout the process of designing a space, you're constantly thinking about little ways that you can add value to the property, which I think is really important to homeowners. What are some of your secrets on that front? So, and this is something Brian would say for sure, that we find that people sometimes don't have top of mind and that's your landscaping. Mm. Let's just say if you were selling this house later down the road, curb appeal is the first thing that's going to entice somebody to even want to look inside. So that's the first impression of the home and you have to budget for it because, you know, Landscaping costs money. Mm-hmm. What percentage would you estimate people should budget oh, of the ooh. total spend? Ish. It can be an ish. I would say of the total budget, at least 5%, between 5 and 10%. Mm-hmm. The other, I think, added value is creative ways to just maximize your storage mm. in a house. Because I promise you, I've never had a client tell me, I have way too much storage in my house. Like, I've never heard anybody say that. Right. So I feel like that's an added value universally. (laughs) Yeah. I lived in New York City for two decades. (laughs) So when we moved out of the city, it was so wonderful to me to experience what it's like to have a basement and extra shelving units to keep stuff. Exactly. Oh, storage is a good one. Yes. What is the number one thing people tend to underestimate when it comes to designing a space to meet their needs? Probably, I would say, picking materials that are going to last over time, not just picking something that's trending that you just saw online. You're like, this looks so cute. Mm. You got to think about the foot traffic and the wear and tear that's going to happen. Like, how are you using the space? And like, over time, am I going to have to be replacing these floors because my dogs ripped up this beautiful hardwood floor that unfortunately may not be as durable as going with LVP? Yes, pick the design that's beautiful to you, but also keep in mind longevity and what type of material and the maintenance of the material as well. That's a great point. And I think this Mm -hmm. applies not just to materials, but furniture as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have normal wear and tear, but like you said, thinking about, is this going to look awesome in five years? Or Mm -hmm. is this fabric something that makes sense for the space? Yeah, there's just so many variables, but I do think durability and maintenance are really top of mind when picking out finishes for sure. 
Yeah, it can be so tempting, I think, to buy the less expensive option. But if you account for longevity, the upfront investment often becomes a good deal, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, not only that, just (laughs) funny story. So rock the block. I won't name this particular team, but there was a bathroom. It was beautiful. I mean, beautiful mosaic tiles, completely luxurious. But the amount of grout lines, I'm like, after about five showers, right? this is going to be a nightmare. So Mm. is there a better way to get the same look without it being a pain to keep clean? (laughs) Very good advice. And what do you think on the flip side is the number one thing that people tend to overestimate in terms of importance when they're designing their homes? That's tricky because I feel like everything's so important. Well, from a realtor's perspective, I do feel like location is the most important. There are Certain times, though, where clients will literally kind of become blindsided to maybe one little area just because it's like, oh, the schools here are the best or this is the closest to my office. Well, one thing you have to consider is school zones change. The grades of certain schools might be a great school now. That could change. And your job could change. So if you just let that be the main deciding factor and you Don't keep an open mind to other opportunities that might make sense as well. Sometimes that narrow-mindedness, you can miss out on a great opportunity. I once did move based on a job and then ended up switching jobs in three months. So I hear you on that front. Right, right. (laughs) It really is very good advice. Mm -hmm. We'll be back with more from Mika Kleinschmidt after the break. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier, and today I'm speaking with Mika Kleinschmidt. Somewhat recently, you completed the build of your own dream home. Can you talk to us about the process of envisioning your dream home and then actually making it come to life? Yes. You know what? So the timing, we were actually building our home at the same time we were competing on Rock the Block. So oh my gosh. That was kind of crazy, but I think it gave us some great ideas. So actually, some of the light fixtures in our Rock the Block house and color palettes We just duplicated it. We were like, we love it. It makes sense. That's awesome. You were incentivized to do the best work possible. (laughs) I already knew what it was going to look like, but it was a little bit eye-opening to realize I was in the client's position perspective now. So I'm like, wow, I totally get how intimidating it can be to make final decisions that are going to be kind of long-term decisions. So it it was interesting being on the other side of that. Yeah. You even said you were your own worst clients. What does that mean? (laughs) 
I mean, so Brian and I, we work as a team, but we don't always agree. And we both are very much leaders. And so it was tricky to compromise on certain things that we didn't see eye to eye on. But again, it was kind of a growing experience, almost like a marriage counseling session, really. And also it was going to be on television. So I didn't want to let that affect decisions. It's going to be an episode on the show, but am I going to love this? Like, I'm not doing it for that. No, ultimately you have to live there with your family. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that you would change today about your dream home or did you get everything right? It's terrible to say this, but as we're doing all these other client homes, I'm constantly getting ideas and I'm like, oh man, this looks awesome. I wish we would have done that. I think the only thing, probably the white subway tile in my shower, going back to cleanliness and maintenance. Too difficult to clean? Kind of a pain. And Mm. same thing with the river rock. I love it. It's great. It's not the easiest to keep clean. But other than that, like the footprint of the home, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm -hmm. The location wouldn't change a thing. So at least it's small, minor things. (laughs) Yeah, those are pretty minor. So what should people who don't have a knack for design or building and developing think about specifically as they're envisioning what's exactly right for their needs? Buying and designing are emotional decisions. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like the great starting point is just scoping out and doing some research online. There is nothing wrong with putting together a mood board, but maybe just look at some photos and you will find that there's certain color palettes There's certain things that will just give you a feeling and you'll be like, okay, wait a minute. I kind of like this, but that really has to be the starting point. We have so much available as far as resources now that you can go online and if you pick one paint color, it'll show you like 10 other colors that complement it, right? So there's nothing wrong with using some of those tools to help you come to a decision. But overall, I think it's how is it going to make you feel when you walk in here, you want to be able to create the mood and vibe that you want to come home to every day. Yeah. And maybe people don't realize that creating a mood board is actually as simple as just throwing a bunch of images you like in one place. And there are so many awesome tools nowadays for making digital mood boards quite easily. Although I actually really like doing it the analog way too, to this day. That's actually fun. I mean, I remember back in the day when you did collages and all that stuff, like do that. Carrying out actual magazines (laughs) and saving things. I love the process. I find it therapeutic. Yes, it is. And actually helpful. Mm-hmm. and figuring out what you need. Have you ever disagreed with a client's vision? And if so, how do you sort of approach those conversations? So I'm pretty good about like, I understand that it's their design and it's what makes them happy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I would put it in my house. But I think the only time I would really step in is if it's something that is going to really go over budget number one. And sometimes people don't know. They just go, oh, I really want this. And then you price it out and you're like, listen, you can spend this, but just know you're not going to get the same amount and value as you're putting into it. But for the most part, if it comes to colors and actual design, the only other time I'll intervene is if I know they have like five dogs and they're trying to pick something that's just not going to stand the test of time as far as durability goes. Right. But I kind of let them, you know, do their thing because at the end of the day, it's really about the client. I work with the client, so it's not me picking for them. Mm-hmm. So really at the end, it's it's something they curated and I just kind of helped along the way to take some of the stress off during right. the process. And weigh in with practical advice about things mm-hmm. they're probably not thinking about, honestly. That's valuable. Yep. So what's your most and least favorite part about what you do, Mika? Ooh, oh, least favorite? <sighs> That's kind of hard, girl, because I love what I do. It's like, I don't even feel like it's a job, to be honest. Well, I will say this. 
I do think the least favorite, especially as the show is growing and we have more people reaching out to our team, is when somebody comes to you with this huge wish list and you just have to be a reality check. And I don't want to be a dream crusher. That's not what I do this for. So that part sometimes is challenging if it's just not the right time for the client to build new or if their expectations of what budget really can get them just doesn't fit what they need. That part's kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is my favorite part. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that answer. (laughs) Where do you get your inspiration? Everywhere. Honestly, I feel like when we're starting a new build, the first thing is the location and just what the surrounding area looks like. So if I'm standing at an empty lot, I'm really paying attention to like the surrounding houses, what kind of views, where's the sun setting? That's kind of the starting point because I do feel like the house usually fits the lot. You can get inspiration going shopping, traveling is great, just kind of infusing a little bit of culture and different color palettes into homes. So inspiration really is kind of everywhere. Did you put any fun little Easter eggs in your own home? We definitely have. We live on a lake and uh, there are alligators in Florida. (laughs) We love wildlife as long as they're nice to us. So throughout our house, we've got, I think I actually have one here, but of course we're not doing video, but I just got to show you. Yeah, show me, please. This guy hangs out on my desk. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. A white alligator. The only kind of alligators I want in the house are decor. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's a lake house. So we have a ton of bird paintings. And so it's kind of like the outdoors is coming in. Mm-hmm. And what about within your own home, your approach to versatility? Guest rooms. Guest rooms are great. When you really think about it, for most people, at least for us, we might use that room maybe one week out of the year. So to have that whole space being designated that's not really functional 51 weeks out of the year, why don't you make it a flex space? So we kind of did a home gym. And of course, you can do a Murphy bed or a hideaway or something. So if you need to convert it into a guest room, it can be. But the rest of the time, we use it every day for our own day-to-day activities. So I think flex spaces are great if you can do multi-purpose and kind of use them for more than one thing. Your point about the guest bedroom makes me think about homes that have the separate fancy living room for entertaining that rarely gets used. Is that a thing people incorporate into their homes lately? Like, I feel like that's something people have moved away from. Oh, yeah. I do feel like the early 2000s had like the formal room and then like the kind of more laid back living room. Same thing with the dining room formal dining, but then also a nook. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think those spaces are kind of repetitive and it's just more to clean. I mean, how many times are you hosting a formal dinner that you need this whole room that's taking up all this space that you can allocate in another room? It's like having a separate set of dishes (laughs) only for fancy entertaining. I've sort of embraced like the just use the nice stuff every day, right? We're different from our parents' generation, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) What is the most creative or complicated, flexible space you've ever executed, either for yourself or a client? Ooh, okay. Some of the houses you'll see that we're working on now, they're not that big square footage wise, but the wish list of the clients are super long. They're like, I need this, 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 and this. And I'm like, okay, we only have this much space. One room we had to convert it, it had to be kind of like a homework room slash guest room slash hangout room and all within a 10 by 10 parameter. So it was really challenging. But again, if you can utilize furniture that's multifunctional, mm-hmm. it can help for sure. And there are some very cleverly designed pieces out there. Yes, there are. Coffee tables, I'm thinking about those ones that rise into a table. 
very, very convenient. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing you notice when you enter someone else's home? <laughs> so this is funny because I listened to the podcast with Dave and Jenny Mars, my dear friends, and I have the same answer that Jenny said, the smell. I don't know what it is with smells, but for some reason, that's that sense that just triggers either memory or emotions or whatever. So that's first and foremost, but also the lighting when you walk in the lighting is a certain mood and not necessarily like the light fixture that's above your head when you walk in the door, but more just like the overall ambiance and energy. It's like, what is the aura color of this house? That really is noticeable right away. I love that. And thank you for listening to the Dave and Jenny app. That was a fun one from season one. Oh yeah. I had to do some homework, make sure you know. (laughs) I love that. Lastly, well, not totally lastly, but I'm wondering if you can tell me what you and your husband learned from owning a gym that applies to your current business ventures. I just loved unearthing that fun fact Yes, that you were doing something very different. It's so different. And it's funny, though, because there's so many similarities. So two really good lessons were, number one, working together, running a business together, understanding our strengths and weaknesses and really learning how to divide and conquer and realize we don't have to do everything like we should work as a team. So that was really good practice for like 10 years that we own the franchises. But when someone is joining a fitness facility or they have personal goals, a lot of times they're opening up to you. It's something very personal. Your insecurities about your physical health or mental health even is something that makes you vulnerable when you're sharing it with others. So that really did help me especially now with helping clients with design, because you can dig past what they're just saying. It's like they're telling you certain things on the wish list, but you almost have to be listening to what they're not saying and understanding the whole dynamic of what their needs are. And I think it gave us great training to do that. People feel comfortable with us because we really just work alongside them. We don't want them to feel intimidated and no question is a dumb question. And it was the same thing with the fitness centers. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'd love to wrap up with a quick round of word association. So I'll basically just feed you a word and you reply with whatever comes to mind immediately. I'm scared, but also intrigued. There's no wrong answer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Time. Not enough. Functionality. Most important. Failure. Opportunity. Quality. Value. High school. Interesting. (laughs) It was an awkward pace. (laughs) For me too. I hear you. So you have so much going on. Obviously, what is the next big thing? What else is in the works? So, you know, in addition to 100 Day, that is our baby. We love what we do with new construction. But Brian and I have dabbled into renovation. We did a hotel renovation on Indian Shores Beach. And the most recent project that we worked on was the Barbie Dreamhouse Challenge. That was the most creative that we were able to be so out of the box. And the best part was we got to work alongside of 14 very talented HGTV designers that we all call friends now. Wonderful. Mika, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Anytime, you guys. I appreciate you uh, reaching out. It's been great. You've been listening to The Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Be sure to follow The Better Buy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. 
You can also find us online at bhg.com slash the better by podcast. And make sure to come back next week for more. Here's a preview. Hey there, I'm Katie Lee Beagle, co-host of The Kitchen on Food Network. I love to cook, I love to entertain, and I love being a mom to my little girl, Iris. I'll see you then.